Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 30. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reaching the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught a great number of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning again. We're going to go back to our series in Acts now. So this is, uh, Acts is a book on like the history of the first churches. It's the history of Christianity and how it all got started. One of the biggest uh, religions, if not the biggest religion in the world now, is Christianity. And so where did it begin? And how did it begin? And so we're looking at kind of the outward nature of the church, how it was expanding and, and seeking to do God's will in the communities and, and to grow and to kind of do a, a missions effort. But before we jump in, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity to be in the book of Acts, to, to hear about the kind of the church, the first church, and how it started to spread. We love you, and we want to hear from you and your word today. Uh, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, maybe some of you are boat owners. I know we have at least a couple boat owners in the back with the Rawls. I know you have a boat. Anyone else here own a boat? Oh, Al, I didn't know you owned a boat. Noah, you own a boat? No? Oh. Uh, in your mind, you have an imaginary boat. Okay, that works. Kayaks, there you go. Okay. So a lot of people own boats, some sailboats, some kayaks. Uh, there are a lot of different options, I suppose. Uh, but I hear there's two days that are very happy in a boat owner's life. Maybe you've heard this expression that the happiest days, the two happiest days are the day they buy the boat and then the day they sell the boat. Uh, so you, for some reason, they love getting it uh, and they want to get rid of it. Um, my philosophy is never to own a boat but to have friends that do so that I don't have to do any of the maintenance. I also like friends with pools. Uh, so please come talk to me if you have a pool or a boat. Apparently, boats require a lot of maintenance. Now, I guess the, the, I don't know if, I've never been a boat owner, but maybe there's some like nostalgia and that kind of is part of the reason you can, you can kind of dream, like this is what I'm going to do with my boat. You get a vision of like happy days sailing or going canoeing. And so there's all these thoughts and dreams and visions that go into that purchase of the boat. And maybe that's why it's the happiest day. But then, of course, reality sets in 
and there's nothing like water to make things difficult for maintenance and keeping up a boat. Uh, you know, you have to uh, uh, dock a boat. Maybe you can dock it at your house, or if you have a bigger boat, you have to find some sort of harbor, and then you have to take it out when it's winter time. I was driving near Newburyport yesterday, and I saw like all the the tarps, like the white tarps. I'm like, how do they get those white tarps on those boats? And it looks like it's like air suctioned on. Like it's so amazing. I don't know how they do it. So maybe someone can explain that to me after the service. But clearly, there's a lot that goes into owning a boat. Uh, And so you spend a lot of time. Uh, Maybe you spend time out on the boat, but you also spend time just like taking care of the boat. And as I was thinking about this, You may have guessed, but I kind of think a church is a bit like a boat. I think a church community has some similarities to what it means to be a boat owner. See, we as a church set sail on the Good Ship Cornerstone in 2015. We set sail into the deep blue sea of Westford, starting a new church, right? It was an exciting day. We had this vision for planting a new church that was kind of like the, the happiest day, right? We got the boat. We're, we're starting. There was a vision. There's excitement. And then kind of maintenance mode crept in as we realized, man, it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work to do a church community, to do outreach events, to have missions programs, to have a weekly worship service. There's a lot of work that goes into like sermon and communion and uh, worship and like practice, and it, it just it takes a lot of time to keep the boat going, to pe- keep the boat afloat, uh, if you will. And yet we've been able to be on mission. We've been able to kind of keep going and keep kind of sailing to the places that we want to go through this time, right? We've, we've, made, we've done some great outreach events. We've done trunk or treats. We've done Christianity Explored. We've uh, we've made some big shifts, some directional shifts in the, in the movement of the boats, right? Uh, we've, we've gone from Saturday afternoon uh, worship service to a Sunday morning worship service out of the Christian Education Hour. But we've also hit some pretty choppy waves, right? Especially with this year, with COVID-19 hitting. Like, I don't, I don't think anyone uh, pr- was prepared. <laughs> like, we'll church plant in 2015, and then we'll navigate a pandemic, a global pandemic in 2020. That sounds like a good way to, to start a church. None of us thought that, that uh, kind of the waves of the pandemic would hit us. And so it's brought a lot of things to a halt. Uh, there's, uh, my mentor was telling me this illustration that when you have a boat, because he was in the Navy, he said, like, you need to always keep it going, right? Unless it's, obviously, it's docked. But if you're going somewhere, you can't just shut off the engine, because then if you do, the waves just start to take you wherever you want to go. You can slow down, right? You can slow down, but you still have to keep some sort of momentum and some sort of momentum going. So today is an opportunity to say, like, are, are we headed a direction? Do we have some momentum? Maybe we've slowed down. Or are we just kind of drifting? Well, it's a complex season with COVID, with having to wear masks, with really not being able to gather together in large groups like we normally would to do different things. And we have been able to do good things. We just got the building. That's cool. And we're continuing with our race class in the Kingdom of God study series. But I think perhaps... 
Maybe, maybe it's just me that's thinking this. Maybe some of you are thinking this. But it's like, if we can just get it through COVID-19, then we'll get back to normal, right? Then we'll kind of get back to ministry as, as normal. And we can then start to do the things we want to do. The problem is, like, no one knows when COVID's going to end. <laughs> Lots of different estimates. And one of the ones that I was reading about was, like, until the end of 2021. So, like, over a year from now, maybe if there's a vaccine and herd immunity and even that takes a lot of time, maybe we'll be getting back to normal. And so the question is, like, do we really want to drift as a church community for the next year? Not really be heading a direction. I would rather be heading some direction, even if it's slow, than no direction at all. And it's tough because, you know, like, I feel like we, we were building some momentum last fall, right? We made the shift, and it was exciting, and Christian education was going well, and we were kind of headed a direction, and then it was like all the wind got taken out of our sails, COVID. And so, I want to get back on mission. I realize, though, that we are in unexplored waters, un- uncharted territory, and so what that looks like, being on mission right now, is going to look different than what it has for the first five years of church planting, the first five years of starting a church. And so today, I just want to begin to ask that question, how can we be on mission mode? How can we be on mission and not just in maintenance mode? I think this is a question we should be asking ourselves as a gathered church body, as a big corporate community. I think we should be asking ourselves this question on different ministry teams. How can we be on mission and not just in maintenance? And then I think we should be asking this for our families and for us individuals in those places that God puts us. How can I make sure that I'm not getting stuck just kind of going through the motions of life? Maybe God wants to be doing something in this season. And I think we find this in the book of Acts. So we're going back to this early church story, and what we find in this book is that there was a lot of persecution. (laughs) There was a lot of suffering. Like, the church was kind of chugging along. It was building momentum. Like, I mean, thousands of people were coming to Jesus, right? You had the 3,000 when Peter preached, and then, like, another 5,000. And it's just like thousands and thousands and thousands of people are coming to Jesus. And then this incident happens where a man gets up, and, and, and a man named Stephen, he gets up and preaches a sermon, and then he gets stoned to death. <laughs> now, that would stop me in my tracks. And it, it stopped the early church, but it also had this other effect of actually scattering the church. If you've ever like, taken a big rock and chucked it into a lake, or like a, a nice glassy pond, it, what does it happen? It's just like this, bloop, bloop, <laughs> and then there's like ripples everywhere. And that's what we see. We see like this, this stone of persecution land in this early church and it spreads the church out. The gospel, the good news about Jesus, and what I, what I mean by gospel is that Jesus died and that he rose again. And that's like such a, a credible message. Like, you, like the Jesus died, like someone died and then rose again three days later. That's the gospel. And they began to, to share this message throughout the kind of the early um, throughout Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and like this, this, this region of the world, it began to spread. Now, it's tempting when you experience pain and hurt to just draw back, right, to self-isolate. 
that's what the early church could have done when they experienced that first stone, those, those first kind of flames of persecution, right? When you put your hand near a flame and you sent its heat, you pull your hand back. That's what the early church could have done. But instead, God somehow used the flame of persecution for good, to actually kind of give life. Now, there's some pine cones that need to go through flame in order to, like, plant a seed and grow trees. Colorado, there are these huge wildfires that my family is from, right? They were having to evacuate their homes the last couple of weeks. And so when you see those fires and you see those massive clouds of smoke and it just covers the whole state, you begin to think, what good can come of this? But actually, the, kind of the burning away makes, makes room for new possibility and new life. And we see that in this early church, that, that they're experiencing this, this suffering, this flame, and yet God's going to use it to spread the church. And he actually does it like on a map, like in, in actual geographic terms. And I want to show you this, this cool map that I brought with us today. So I'm going to read the passage, verses 19 through 21, and you can kind of pick out on this map the places, the actual places that it's talking about. So verse 19, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke in the Hellenists, to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. So I'm going to try to point out on the screen what we see here, right? Stephen is stoned here, and that puts Christians go up to Cyprus, Christians go up to kind of modern-day Libya area, uh, Phoenicia, Antioch, northern Africa, over to Cyrene, and they all kind of, not all of them, but a select group of them make their way to Greek-speaking Antioch, this place that is not, not completely Jewish, but is very diverse. It's a multi-ethnic community, and there's people from all around the world, from northern Africa, from Cyprus, coming there. Now, what we see is that some of them, when they come there, they only talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus, the gospel message, the good news to those that are already Jewish, right? So that would be like me saying, you know, like, there's this amazing news and there's this great news. Maybe it's like this, this sale at the local store. Like, maybe you guys remember those things called blue, blue light specials. <laughs> you know what that is? There, there used to be this, this store called Kmart. You know what that is? Oh my gosh. It's a, like Walmart. And they'd have these like blue light specials and, and it would be like on the speakers, you know, blue, blue light special in this location. Then you'd like run over there. I never ran, maybe others did. And you'd get the sale, right? But what if there was a sale and you only told like the people that look like you and talk like you and believe the same things about you. And yet this sale could make a huge difference for a lot of people. Well, now, Jesus obviously is not an, an item to be sold, but you kind of get the idea that there's this good news, and they're only spreading it to people that are part of the Jewish community. And there's a reason for that, because that's, there's a lot of, like, cultural reasons, cultural identity, uh, cultural beliefs about uh, the Jewish people. They're God's chosen people. But God had other plans to spread the gospel, not just to Jewish people, but to also to the non-Jewish people called Gentiles. Uh, so most of us would be identified as a Gentile if we lived during this time. And so we see some of them 
spoke the gospel to the Hellenists, to the, the Greek speakers, the culturally different than them. And this is in fulfillment. Maybe you guys remember back at the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus kind of gave a roadmap. And if you read the book of Acts, it kind of follows this geographic roadmap of where the gospel would go. And I put it up on the screen. Jesus said these words, but you, talking to his disciples, his followers, he said this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So if we're to look at the screen again, that means the gospel is going to start here and then it's going to go Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the ends of the earth is all of this. (laughs) It's everywhere. And if we get to the end of the book of Acts, we'll see the gospel going even as far as Rome. See, they're on mission. Yes, they could have been stopped by the flame of persecution, but they're on mission. They're, they're not going into this maintenance mode, some of them. Some of them are kind of maintaining the status quo, just telling people, but they're still sort of on mission, sharing about Jesus. And we see amazing things begin to happen as these people stay on mission and begin to kind of get out of their comfort zone. Acts, back to Acts 11, verses 20 through 21. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, so northern Africa and Cyprus, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the, the Greeks, the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. Verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. That's amazing. So, like, the gospel message is, is crossing racial and ethnic and like, like cultural boundaries and religious boundaries so that people that are Jewish and people that are Greek are somehow then being united in Christ Jesus. And I imagine, you know, these people were, they were experiencing persecution. Like it would have been easy to just withdraw, to kind of take a step back and be like, we're just going to get through this. And then once, once the cultural tides turn, then we'll kind of get serious about, about sharing about Jesus. But they didn't do that. They kept sharing. And as we think about our, ourself and our own kind of predicament with COVID, it's like, okay, it, it, it's tempting to kind of take a step back and say, we're just going to kind of get through this, and then we'll get back to sharing about Jesus. But we can't do that. We, like ourselves, need to be thinking of ways, like, we, like them, need to be thinking of ways that we can be doing cross-cultural mission ways that we can be sharing the gospel in Jesus Christ with those that do not know him in our communities, getting out of our comfort zones. I'm trying to like live this personally, not just preach it, but you know, it is not in my comfort zone to go to Living Water Center of Hope next Saturday, to kind of meet with homeless people and try to feed them a meal. That is not something I normally do. I'm kind of excited about it, but I'm also a little uncomfortable about it because I can think of other things that I would rather do. I'm just not wired that way. But I want to be on mission. I want to see God do things in our community and in our world. And so I'm going to get out there and try something, and I hope that some of you will come with me. I know that some of you are. But maybe God's calling you to something else. Like maybe there's something on your mind like, oh, yes, I do need to be on mission, or my team needs to be on mission in this way. We need to think about those things and, and, and really think like, okay, I don't want to be in maintenance mode. And so how do we move then from maintenance mode to, to mission? Well, it starts with the Holy Spirit. 
Now, you might not know this, but the Holy Spirit is God. So Jesus is God. The Father is God. The Heavenly Father is God. Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. But they're not three gods. They're one God. One God, three persons. Kind of blows your mind. <laughs> but it would make sense that if we're going to do something, it actually needs to start with God doing something. That God needs to move. And so we need to take the time to say, God, where are you moving? To take time to pray, to be silent before the Lord and to listen. Lord, what are you doing? See, God uses a man who is full of the Holy Spirit in this passage to orchestrate great change. To be full of the Holy Spirit implies that he took time to seek the Holy Spirit. He took time to know God and to be in relationship with God, and then God is like driving his life. We see that in verses 11, 22 through 24, chapter 11. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, right? So they, they're hearing about this like cross-cultural church that's rising up made of Jewish people and Greek people, and they're like, this is odd, this is weird. A report comes to them. And if you remember just the last couple chapters that we've read, what happened? Well, Peter had to have this, so that one of Jesus' followers, Peter had to have like this vision of these animals coming down in a tarp from heaven, clean animals that were like religious and ceremonial, like good, and then unclean animals, like animals that he wasn't supposed to eat as a Jew, coming down in this tarp, and God said, take and eat. And this vision appeared to him three times, then right after that, a messenger came and said, hey, come preach the gospel to these, these Greek speakers, and he did. And that's kind of how the, the story began of the Gentiles becoming Christians. But there was still pushback. Just because Peter had a vision and God seems to be doing something here doesn't mean there's not cultural forces that are interested in maintenance mode and keeping things the way they are, keeping the status quo. But the Holy Spirit will have his way. The Holy Spirit will keep things going. And we see that in this passage. So the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Maybe you remember who Barnabas is. He's the guy all the way back in Acts chapter 4 who had property, and he sold his property, and he gave the money to the church so they could do good things with it. And actually, at the time, he was named Joseph, but the, the church leaders were like, let's rename this guy to Barnabas because that means son of encouragement. Like he was such an encouragement. People respected him in a position of authority. And it wasn't because he was like claimed it. It was because people looked at him and said, wow, this man's an encourager. And then he rose up again later. And uh, when, when Saul had his conversion experience, Barnabas vouched for Saul, who then became right Paul. So Barnabas, they sent this Barnabas, he's full of the Holy Spirit to Antioch, and when he came and saw the grace of God, so he recognizes what God is doing, he was glad. He wasn't defensive, he wasn't like, that's not how we've been doing things. He was just glad because he saw what God is doing, and he exhorted them all. That means he encouraged them all to the church to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. That means keep going, <laughs> keep doing it, remain faithful to Jesus, keep trusting in him. Why? Because he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was sensing what the Holy Spirit was doing, and he had faith. He trusted. He didn't, he didn't have to have it all figured out. One of the things I loved about our Christian Education Hour this morning is they talked about being okay with ambiguity. It's so 
natural, I think, in my own mindset to want to have everything figured out, to have everything in a box, to have clear-cut directions, like not those Ikea directions that kind of mess with you and they kind of set you on the wrong trail, not directions like that, like Lego directions. Lego directions are much clearer than Ikea directions. Like that's the kind of direction that I want from God. My wife's kind of like, you know, like where did this illustration come from? I'm following the Holy Spirit, babe. God wants to lead them into a new and amazing place. And he does this through the Holy Spirit leading a man named Barnabas. And what are the results? Like, what are the results when we trust God and when we follow the Holy Spirit? And a great many were added to the Lord. This phrase is not the first time this has appeared in the book of Acts. Kind of this idea of, and many, and like 3,000 were added to their number, and 5,000 were added to their number, and a great many were added to their number. Because when people follow the Holy Spirit, lives get changed. Lives that you don't expect. When we go on mission with Jesus, things happen. And we see that here. Barnabas follows the Holy Spirit, and somehow like the whole church like, recognizes it in Barnabas. And they listen to him, and they keep going. And this is a lesson for us, that we need to follow the Holy Spirit. We need Barnabases. Think about Barnabas for a moment, right? He's, he's a trusted figure in the church. He's recognized as someone who encourages others. He's a kind of authority figure. He's probably older. And they send him. Because if this was not a good movement, he would have the ability to say, this is not good. Let's stop. But he actually recognizes this is what the Holy Spirit's doing. See, we need people like Barnabas. We need people in our church, in our community, who have authority, who are trusted figures, who perhaps are older, who are full of the Holy Spirit, to stand up and say, this is good. What the Holy Spirit is doing here is good. I want to encourage that. And so as the next generation rises up, our youth, our teen, our college students, Anyone who, who, who's sensing what the Holy Spirit is doing, that we can come around them and say, this is good. Let's, let's, let's do what the Holy Spirit is asking us to do. There's a great deal of humility in Barnabas. I want to show you that in this very next verse. It's, it's so easy to miss in verse 25, but it's, it's so interesting, the humility that Barnabas displays. He says, so Barnabas went to Tarsus looking for Saul. See, Barnabas didn't go and say, there's this great movement I think I'll be the pastor there. <laughs> I'll be in charge, and it'll make me look good. He actually said, you know what? I'm not gifted for a mission to the Jews, or to the Gentiles. My gifting is back in Jerusalem. And yet I know there is someone that God has gifted and that God has called to a very special purpose. And that's a man named Saul. Saul has a heart for the Greek-speaking Gentiles. I'm going to go get him, and together we're going to tackle this project. Together we're going to make disciples in Antioch. Like maybe I'll be the, as Barnabas, I'll be the one who's like reaching out to the Jewish people and trying to work more with them. And Saul, he'll be working with the, the Greek speakers. And together we're going, to, we're going to see what God does in this community. We're going to get in line with the Holy Spirit. I think that takes a lot of humility. Humility. 
Barnabas is supposed to be someone who spends time in prayer with the Lord, a lot of time in prayer with the Lord, and sees, sees life through God's eyes. So what powers a sailboat? Maybe some of you have ridden on a sailboat. Have any, anyone here ridden on, a, ridden on a sailboat? A couple? Okay, I've never ridden on a sailboat. It's like a life goal. I'd like to do that at some point. But I imagine when you went riding on your sailboat, like you didn't get a whole bunch of extension cords and a whole bunch of fans and set them up on top of the boat <laughs> and plug the boat in and then be like, all right, we got power. We're going to sail. Just let me plug these, these fans in and we'll turn and we'll like self-propel the boat. That would be very silly. That'd be a very silly way to sail. Now, wind is what powers... A boat, like a sailboat. Wind is what takes a sailboat into the ocean, into new destinations. And one of the names for the Holy Spirit, the, the name for spirit in Hebrew, Hebrew is rucha. It just means wind. It just means wind. And we see Jesus calling the Holy Spirit, like he says, the wind blows where, the, where it wants. You can't control the wind. We try, try to go the direction of the wind. It's, if you want to try to fight against the wind, it's a lot harder if you're a sailboat. And so we have to pray. We have to spend more time as a church body praying. You know, there's, there's one thing that COVID really doesn't have to make a difference on, or maybe it could encourage us to do more of, and that's pray. You know, they're calling each other over the phone, or we're trying to get on Zoom together and just spend some time praying together. I would do that. If anyone wants to pray during the week, I am happy to, to pray with you and would love to do that. Or if we want to get a, a specific time going where we pray together. When I was a lot younger, like a, a kid, I was at someone's house. You ever do that when you're, at a ki- you're a kid, you're like at someone's house, and you're like, oh, I like that thing, and you kind of hope they'll give it to you? Well, uh, I did this with a little glass sailboat, right? So it was one of those sailboat kits. It was much smaller than this, but it was like you, you put like the, the little boat in and I don't, I don't know how that works, but you like pull a string or something and then the boat pops up and then you have this amazing sailboat in a glass bottle. I love how intricate this is, how detailed, like the, the color on the sails is really cool. Uh, I think this is somewhere in, in the UK. So this is uh, an international sailboat of sorts. It's, it's beautiful, it's nice, it's intricate, it's pristine, but this boat will never sail. This boat will never sail in the water. It is protected behind glass. It sure looks nice. And, you know, it'll probably stay clean and it'll probably continue right there for some time. But if you, if you want to get serious about, like, sailing the rivers or sailing the oceans, it's actually much better to be a, a boat like the stick that that boy is holding. He's playing with his nice stick in the mud in the river. And I'm sure when he was done playing with that stick, he threw it into the river and it went down the stream and had many exciting stick adventures (laughs) and lived a life that was far more adventuresome than that boat in that bottle. So which church are we? Are we like the stick or are we like the boat in the bottle? Which church do we want to be? The stick or the boat in the bottle? 
can look good and have all of our systems and things figured out, but we may never sail. I want to sail. I want to sail on the, the waves of COVID and to the mission that God has for us. And like the Holy Spirit, like the wind can't get into that glass jar. But I want to sense where, whatever the Holy Spirit is doing, I just want to go. I, 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 don't want to, I don't want to wait. I just want to be like that stick in the river, just sailing wherever Jesus wants us to go. And so we sense what the Holy Spirit does, and that takes prayer. Following those nudgings, those waves of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit moves us from maintenance to mission. So does something called discipleship. I want to look back at our passage. Barnabas goes up to Tarsus to find Paul. And then this happens, verse 26. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. In our Christian education hour today, uh, the, the teacher, the lady who was leading the session in the video series talked about this verse right here. <laughs> I could not have set that up any better. That's like a little Holy Spirit thing. She was, she was commenting on, like, this class is on race and diversity and how, like, people did not know what to call those early believers because they weren't Jewish anymore. I mean, they were Jewish, but they, they weren't just Jewish. They were Jewish people and Greek-speaking people, Gentile people mixing together, and there was no category for it. There was no label. So they came up with a new label, and honestly, Christians is not a very nice word. Christ means Messiah, and so for them to be called Christians, it's kind of like they were being called like Messiah freaks. Messiah freaks. Like, you weird Messiah people, you. And now we take it, and we're like, yeah, we're Christians. We're about the Christ, about Jesus, the Messiah. Messiah means like God's anointed one, God's special chosen king. And that's what we believe about Jesus, that he is the Christ, died and rose again. Now we're called Christians. But then we see in this passage, we see like people being discipled. You know, they taught for a whole year. A great many people were taught. I see like, in this passage, I see two forms of discipleship. I do see Barnabas pouring into Paul slash Saul, like this kind of personal one-on-one mentoring. But then I also see like the church at large, right? This gathered corporate discipleship, kind of like what we're doing right now. And the church grew. They were called Christians. And so the church was on mission, right? They were, they were moving from maintenance to mission by following the Holy Spirit and by doing discipleship. This is not a complicated IKEA plan. <laughs> this is a pretty like simple step one, step two, step three. Follow the Holy Spirit, disciple others. So the question is, not only are you receiving discipleship, but are you giving discipleship? Are you pouring into that next generation? Because you have some sort of biblical authority and leadership just by the very virtue of, of being a follower of Christ. Are you pouring into the next generation? Are you mentoring someone or discipling someone individually or kind of in that small group format? We can go for walks outside. Uh, my... Um, at the, the doctorate of ministry program, 
we tried to watch these sermons, and uh, we watched each other's sermons, and maybe you guys remember Brian Bethke, the Marine who preached here a while ago, and he was really like fired up in his sermon, and he started talking about like, get coffee, like go get coffee with, he was like screaming, like go get coffee with someone, and afterwards I was like, well, that was a really intense call to get coffee, <laughs> so I'm not going to do that for you guys, maybe you can get coffee, maybe, <laughs> go for a walk, <laughs> Something with, an, with another generation or, or someone who is not quite where you are in the Christ, or, or maybe they are, the, or they're ahead of you, and you're like, hey, would you disciple me? Let's learn together. So we move from maintenance to mission when we focus on the Holy Spirit, when we focus on discipleship. This third one, I think, is a little bit surprising. This third one is the last one, but it's a little bit surprising because it's, it's, it's also uncomfortable. And that's Generosity. Right? When, we, when we're in a time of persecution and flame and suffering or when things are difficult, we lock down, like our budgets, our finances, we lock down and we go into a time of austerity. <laughs> you know, let's, let's see what happens here. Acts 11, 27 through 30. Now in those days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch and one of them named Agabus, we almost named Evangeline Agabus, uh, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. See, when times were going to be even tougher, right? They're already under persecution, and then famine's cuffing. And they didn't, they didn't lock down. They didn't, they didn't dock up. They didn't get on the dry dock and say, let's just hold down the fort. They said, no, let's keep giving. And they didn't say, even say, like, how much can we give? Or how much do they need? They were like, how much can we give? Generosity was driving their mission. That's the same thing we can ask. So often, I, I personally ask, like, how much do they need? Which can be like, okay, what's like the minimum I can give? Just to meet the bare minimum amount. But really, we need to ask, how much can we give? How much is God calling us to give to those in need of our time, of our money, of our hearts? Let's see what God can do when he wants to grow his kingdom. And so we're trying here to move from maintenance to mission. I came across this article that was talking about kind of moving from maintenance to mission and kind of those things that we prioritize as a church. A maintenance church is concerned with attendance, programs, preserving traditions, kind of preserving what we're already doing, and getting like the current people involved in, in more things. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds like what I do. But a mission church is concerned with equipping. That means like helping people learn how to do things and, and trusting them to do things. Sending people out into the world, hoping for the future that God's going to do something, like not giving up. Reaching out to the outside community and caring about how God has called and gifted people. So not just plugging people into things, but really caring what God is doing in someone's life. A maintenance church is anxious about change while a mission church embraces it. And a strategy, of, a strategy of maintenance church, of a maintenance church, is centered on getting people into the building, while a mission church is focused on getting people outside into the community. Just by being, like, just by the very nature of COVID, like, we can't just 
do events where we get people into the building. Like that's not a thing anymore, at least for some time. So we need to think creatively about how can we get outside the building? See, this requires trust. We have to trust the Holy Spirit. This requires probably focusing on those things that matter most, like discipleship. And being generous with our time and our money to do what God wants us to do. And this is hard. This takes risk. But this is why we need Jesus. Because if we fail, if we get out there and we try things and we fail, it's okay because Jesus loves us. Maybe you've tried something in your own life and you're like, man, it was an absolute failure. Well, it's okay because Jesus loves you. He loves you enough to give up his life to pay the penalty for your sins so that you can die and rise again one day and so you can know him in this life. What if we succeed? What if like, we like, shift and like, we are able to speed up the boat and we, we go to new and exciting and foreign lands? Well, Jesus still had to die for us, didn't he? <laughs> There's no pride here because Jesus had to die to pay the penalty for our sins. And he loves us, even apart from that. And so I hope today is a reorientation, a, a focusing on the mission God has called us to do as individuals, like on your front line in those places, those family members. Like don't lose hope on those people that God has called you to, to be a minister to and to share Jesus with. Don't lose hope. Don't give up. Keep focusing on what God might be doing. Keep praying. Keep seeking the Holy Spirit. And then I hope that this is a, a call for us as a church body to really focus on what God is doing and to not be in maintenance mode for the next year, but to be on mission for what Jesus is doing. My final big idea is the spirit, discipleship, and generosity move us from maintenance to mission. I want to close with a story. I feel like I've probably gone long. I don't really know. Uh, there were two boats that are famous for responding to the Titanic. Maybe you've heard of the Titanic. It's a big boat that sank. It was a uh, a, a major tragedy. One boat, the Californian, was about 20 miles away, and they turned off their radio at about 11:30. This is uh, kind of a normal thing, I guess, to do. About 10 minutes later, the Titanic hit the iceberg, and the people on the Californian, well, they, there was only a handful of people, but the sailors and they saw these like rockets shooting off in the distance. And they're like, "What is going on? Why are they shooting off rockets?" And then there were flares, and they saw more flares. They could see a light in the distance, and that light went off, so they, and they thought, well, maybe the boat's just turning off its lights. And they didn't turn on their radio, and they did not respond. They were about 20 miles away. And it's debated whether or not they actually could have done anything, even if they had started at that moment, but you don't want to be the one when the Titanic sinks that you didn't respond, and you were the closest boat. Those crew members had to wrestle for the rest of their life why they did not go. But there was another ship, the Carpathia, that was 58 miles away. 58 miles away, and their radio was on. And when they got the call that the Titanic was sinking, they powered up all their engines, they turned around, and they headed straight for the Titanic. And they had to navigate around icebergs, their passengers like, were, what is going on? They're like, get back to bed. <laughs> so they were on mission. They were the first boat at the scene of the disaster. And they were able to save 705 lives from the lifeboats. The Carpathia was on mission.
the Californian was in maintenance mode. Which would we rather be? The Carpathia or the Californian? A church with wind in its sails, wind by the Holy Spirit sending us where he wants to send us with a sea of possibilities before us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, fill our sails with wind and take us exactly where he wants us. Help us to do discipleship, to really focus on that. Help us to to live generously, to give the way that you want us to give. God, we just want to be a part of what you're doing. And none of us have been through anything like COVID before. Yet we want to head where you want us to head. So would you help us do that? In Jesus' name, amen.